0: Good morning, Harmony. Come on in and have a seat. We have a few announcements for you this morning. Uh, we have a lot of things coming up, so come on in, have a seat. Uh, we'll go through a few announcements, have a quick video, and then it'll be time to get into worship. Okay, so following today's service, there will be a congregational meeting to go over uh, the new proposed Constitution. Um, so it'll be about a half-hour meeting you um, have a few minutes to socialize and then we'll get started. Um, John Hopper, one of our elders, will be leading that meeting. Um, so everyone is welcome to stay and um, see what we're going to be doing. Um, and then there will be a uh, meeting on following the service on Sunday, May 21st. That is our annual business meeting. Um, and we will present the uh, 23-24 Harmony Ministries budget uh... as well as the harmony christian school budget for a vote um, there will also be a vote for the revised constitution and bylaws that we're going over today and new leadership litur- leadership positions that are listed in your bulletin so take a look at that all are welcome to stay for the meeting but only members will be able to vote um, this coming thursday uh... we will be having mops mothers of preschoolers and school aged children we will have a meeting Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. If any moms can make it, um, I will be handling child care and doing a lesson for the children, and that's any age group. Um, so bring them, come on out, see what it's all about. Um, and then very exciting stuff happening. VBS is, it's almost time for VBS. The school year's almost over, um, so we're getting excited. Um, this year for VBS, um, we're going to be doing Pets Unleashed, it could be interesting you might want to come check it out it's gonna be Thursday July 27th and Friday July 28th from 5 30 till 8 p.m. and a celebration on Sunday uh, July 30th followed by a picnic cuz why not we like to eat Um, If you are interested in helping out with this, please see the bulletin board that I've put up in the foyer um, and sign up where you might think you might be interested. If you have questions, please see me. Uh, Then we're going to have a short video, and then Pastor Ben's going to pray for us, and we are going to start to worship. Thank you.
1: Father God, we are grateful and we're thankful for another opportunity and a privilege that we get to come before you and lift our voices in praise. Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for allowing us to be here. So God, as we get ready to sing, may we have our hearts and our minds in the right place. May those things of this week that are weighing us down, that are dragging on us, may we just lay them down and come to you with a heart of praise this morning. We thank you, we love you, and we give you all the praise and glory and honor that's due. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Ben. Please stand with us as we open with worship.
2: I'm going to ask for a little help as we start out here. It's going to require some rhythmic participation on your part. Uh, so we're just going to clap together. It's okay. like this. They're really doing it, awesome. Keep it going.
3: Here we go We worship the guy who was. We worship the guy who is we worship the god who evermore will be he opened the prison door he parted the raging sea my god he holds the victory yeah enjoy the house of the lord enjoy the house of the lord today and we won't be quiet
4: Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth.
2: You are dismissed. (laughs) All right. And Jesus came and said to them,
3: Yeah
5: Chant divine, I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, come to Christ in me, the night is dark, I yeah. yeah.
2: Praise you, we lift up your holy name, the name above every name. For it's by nothing, no work of our hands, that we uh find our salvation, but through your shed blood on the cross. Thank you for that amazing sacrifice. Prepare our hearts and minds as we approach your table now. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated.
6: Good morning, everyone. In just a moment, we're going to share together in the Lord's Table communion. If you're watching at home, um, this is a chance for you to quickly get up and go find something that you can use for bread and something that you can use for the cup. If you're in the room and you did not get one of these communion sets, this little pack, raise your hand. We have some people ready to bring it to you. Raise your hand high if you need one. There's a couple right down front here. And while we're doing that, I have a letter I'd like to read to you uh, from our very own open air evangelism ministry missionary, Luke Ogden. Dear church family, Luke writes, the Lord is good. With my New York City trip having come to a close already, I thought I should give an update. Good job, Luke. (laughs) I wish all of our missionaries would give us this kind of prompt report every time something wonderful happens. In just two full days of street evangelism, my fellow classmates and I ministered to a total of 9,380 people. Of those, 2,336 were given the complete gospel message. They stood there, they stood still long enough to tell them the whole gospel. And we had 88 people come to know Christ right there on the streets. So Luke repeats, the Lord is good. While not everyone was able to trust Christ at that time, thousands of seeds were planted. Amen. And I urge you to pray along with me that those seeds would sprout. Though at times it was difficult, the reward at the end was so very worth it. Thank you again for sending me. Because of your prayers and support in sending, so many more brothers and sisters will join us one day in glory. Praise the Lord. What a great thought. I ask you to continue to pray for me as I finish up the year, and again, for all the people who were ministered to. Thank you again for playing a part in making this possible. And I think I said this the last time I read something from Luke. This kid's a preacher already. He ends with a, a, a Bible verse, John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Amen. That's a homegrown missionary right there. And you all have a part in this report that we've just received. That's fantastic. I was thinking as I came into church this morning, uh, it's it seems like it's already Communion Sunday again. It, it We just... We just shared in communion. You know, the last time we shared in communion together was on Good Friday, a month ago. And so much has happened. We're in the spring of the year, and uh, suddenly, <laughs> suddenly we have pushed in the clutch, put that uh, stick shift into sixth gear, released the clutch, and hit the gas, and we are flying down the highway, metaphorically speaking. We're doing it in... A safe way, abiding all proper traffic regulations. <laughs> but things around here are really speeding up. Have you noticed? Yes. Just with the announcements this morning, and <laughs> in a month, a month, uh, a month of Sundays from now, June the fourth, uh, we're we have so many people being baptized. We had to cancel the sermon. Amen. That's going to be the sermon. Right now, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe me when I tell you this. We're talking about this Tuesday in staff. We're listing the names of people that we know have expressed a desire to be baptized. Now, maybe not all of these people will be able to share in baptism on June 4th, but the number right now is 12... And as of this morning, that number went up one. I have never baptized 13 people at one time in my whole life. And I think I could probably string together any number of years to say, that would, to- that would double my total for all of those years combined. And uh, somebody at staff was saying, that's never happened here at Harmony Baptist Church before. Now, uh, on that first day of the church in Acts chapter 2, that day they baptized, what? 3,000. So we have a ways to go. <laughs> Th- that's the Guinness World Record right there. That's a, it's a lofty goal, right? But if you're, if you're here this morning and you have not been baptized... And you're sitting there thinking, why have I not yet been baptized? What's keeping me from being baptized? The answer to that question is, what's keeping you? You haven't gone and talked to Pastor Dennis. That's what's keeping you. That's all. That's keeping you. So if you, if you want to get in on our effort to reach the world record... <laughs> no, I, don't, I, I shouldn't have said that. I should not have said that. So... Yeah, of course, stenographers strike that from, jury, you're instructed to disregard that. <laughs> if, like, if you would like to join in this exciting time of making a, a public declaration, I am choosing my side, and I want all of the people here to know I am choosing to walk with Jesus Christ. June the 4th. Take your uh, communion set now, if you would, please, your little pack, and carefully peel back the top clear layer of cellophane and take out this white disc, this this bread. Jesus said to his disciples on that night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread that they were using, unleavened bread, flat, because it's unleavened maybe not this flat but it's unleavened he took this bread part of the passover celebration he took this bread and he and he held it up before them i imagine something like i'm doing right now with this and he said this bread represents my body which is broken for you now They they did not understand in that moment what he meant when he said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. He broke the bread in front of them. And then just hours later, they saw his body broken. The disciples reported to us much later, it was only then that we recognized that we understood what he had been talking about. But now that we understand it, It means so much more to us. And now that you and I understand this bread and what it symbolizes, it doesn't matter that it's um, a thin wafer of not very flavorful bread. It doesn't matter. Because it's not the bread. It's what the bread reminds us of. Jesus gave thanks Blessed O you, O God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. We give you thanks for this bread. Jesus thanked God for the bread. He blessed it, and he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This bread is my body, broken for you in remembrance of me. This do in remembrance of me. being very careful to pull back this second cellophane layer because this stain will not come out of my shirt easily. <laughs> How do I know this, you might ask. <laughs> Use your imagination. It will come to you. Learn from my experience. Don't, have, don't put it to the test yourself. This small quantity of juice, the fruit of the vine. When the supper was ended, Jesus took the cup. There were several cups of wine shared during the Passover meal. The last cup, the cup that was shared when the supper was ended, was called the cup of blessing. And even to this day, when observant Jewish families gather to celebrate the Passover, and they come to this part in the Passover celebration, the cup of blessing, when they raise this cup, they will toast one another, saying, Next year in Jerusalem. Looking forward, looking forward to the day when their God, their Messiah, would regather all of the house of Israel and bring them back to the land of promise and restore to them the blessing of being the children of God. You and I understand uh, you and I understand a little bit better what Jesus meant when he said this, but still, that's a good reminder for us, isn't it? It might be that the next time we drink this cup together, it will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. Our brother Gene Bosick is back this morning, having uh, spent the last couple of weeks, along with his wife Judy, traveling back and forth to Ohio, uh, Gene has had his, his last meal on earth with his mother. But we earnestly long and pray that before the end of her life, she came to put her trust in Jesus Christ. That has been our prayer for as long as I've known Gene. That has been his prayer and mine for him. And for anyone who mourns the loss of a family member, a loved one, who you know is in heaven with, with the Lord Jesus? This is part of the blessing to me of communion, because communion means we have in common this thing with all of the saints of God, all of the people for all time who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, many of whom are now in heaven with, with the Lord many dear to me, and while I will not take this cup with them again on earth, I look forward to that day when, around the throne of God, I share communion with all the saints, and maybe um, as we take this cup together today, that reminder might bring some assurance and strength and hope and comfort to you as well. Jesus took the cup, and he blessed it. We give thanks to you, O God, King of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. We give you thanks for this cup and all that it represents, the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for the payment for sin for all humankind, for all sin, for all time. Those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ have this assurance. Your sins have been forgiven. You have a place in the family of God, a place at the table, prepared for those who have put their trust and hope in Jesus Christ. Drink this in remembrance of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for reading Daniel chapter 2. I'm sure many of you... uh, I'm just going to assume that all of you did the homework. And uh, you read through Daniel chapter 2 because there's 49 verses in Daniel chapter 2 as the story... Unfolds. I'm calling this story, I Dreamed a Dream. Some of you will get that reference, uh, and some of you won't. And it doesn't matter if you don't, because I do. But, uh, some of the stuff I do, I do to entertain myself. And, and, if, and if I happen to entertain you along the way, so much the better. In the second year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. This chapter is a story, a true story, and I'm going to treat it like a story, and I'm going to, t- to-, to talk to you about the story as it unfolds before us, a story that you've already read, a story that's already familiar to you, and so I'm going to just recount the story. But because I'm a preacher, I have organized it with alliteration. It's just, I can't help it. Uh, after classes upon classes of how to prepare a sermon, it just it just happens. Also because uh, words, to me, words are my toys. And... I like to I like to use them and arrange them in interesting ways. So uh, the story begins with a conflict. The king had a dream, and he commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. And so they came in to stood before the king. Uh, I want you to imagine. Uh, I want you to imagine if you've seen the Disney cartoon, the Disney show, Aladdin. I want you to imagine these magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and Chaldeans represented by the character Jafar, the Grand Vizier. And if you are familiar with that story, Jafar is the bad guy. Now I'm not saying, I'm not saying that all of the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and Chaldeans are bad guys, but as the story unfolds, that's how Nebuchadnezzar saw them. The king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And so they said, Well, well, O oh king, this is, you know, this is what you're, you're paying us for. Tell us your dream. And And we'll tell you what it means. They had books and scrolls in their library and they could, you know, they could look up if you dream about running to catch the school bus and just as you get there, the school bus door closes in front of you and pulls away. This is what this dream means. There are actually books that you can buy in bookstores that tell you what certain dreams mean. I don't, know how, I don't know how reliable these books are, but they exist. And some people have made it their life's work to study and understand the meaning of dreams. The king said to his advisors, his wise men, His magi, tell me what my dream means, because it's troubling me. And they said, okay. And the king says, except (laughs) I'm not going to tell you what I saw in my dream. I want you to tell me what I saw in my dream, and then tell me what it means. Oh. Um, School bus? No. No. Probably not. No. The Chaldeans said to the king, uh, tell your servants the dream and we will show you the interpretation. And the king answered, this word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Now we know that Nebuchadnezzar is skeptical of these advisors. If you show me the dream and its interpretation, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Show me the dream and its interpretation. And they they said, a second time, a second time, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show you, we promise we show you what the dream means. And the king said, I know with certainty you're just stalling. You're trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me. Till the times change, therefore tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation. I don't trust you, I don't believe you, but if you tell me what I dreamed, then I will believe that you can tell me what it means. Hmm. By the way, this is why it's not such a great thing to have a king. on account of who's going to talk the king out of killing people he's upset with. There's no higher authority on earth. And the king, if he decides he is done with you, he can say, off with your head, and off your head will come. The Chaldeans answered, There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean and the the thing that the king asks is difficult. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And they got that part right. That's right. That's a young person of discernment and wisdom right there. (laughs) Let's feed that child from the king's table and (laughs) put them through a three-year program of study. This brings us to the next part of the story, the catastrophic consequence. If you're filling out these... uh, blanks in your bulletin insert the catastrophic consequence I couldn't choose between between catastrophe and consequence so I chose them both verse 12 because of the answer of the wise men the king was angry and very furious this is why it's good not to have a king and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. He's no closer to finding the answer to his question about his dream, but he's going to rid himself of these people who are a burden on his checkbook and giving him nothing of substance. And so in his anger, he sentences all of them to death. Which brings us to collateral damage. So the decree went out, the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them because Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah were now among the wise men of Babylon. We saw that at the end of chapter 1 the king said kill them all and that included daniel and his friends collateral damage as the story unfolds daniel makes a careful response daniel replied with prudence and discretion to arioch the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of babylon he was assigned that uh, grim Duty. And Daniel declared to Ariok, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? What's the rush? Ariok made the matter known to Daniel. Ariok explained the whole thing. This reminds me of some of the lessons we observed last week about Daniel and his formula for spiritual success particularly the third lesson. See, I just pulled that directly from last week into this week. Didn't even change the number. Daniel approached his supervisor, in this case, Ariok, his executioner, tactfully and respectfully without belligerence. And then, having understood what Ariok told him, Daniel made a courageous request. Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Daniel said, well, the king didn't ask me about this dream. God has given me the ability sometimes to understand dreams. Give me a chance. And maybe I can show the king the dream and I will uh, help spare my life and the lives of my friends and while I'm at it, everybody else's life too. This is another part of Daniel's formula for success. He sought and found an acceptable position. He could both obey God and not disobey the human authority over him. And so in Daniel 2.17, Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel and his boys had a prayer meeting. That's another part of Daniel's formula for spiritual success. You already recognize that. Daniel found support and courage by partnering with like-minded friends. When you're in trouble, find somebody and pray. If you can't find anybody, pray. But with one eye open, look around to see if you can bring somebody into your prayer meeting with you. And then um, another part of Daniel's path to success, Daniel trusted God would honor Daniel if they sought to be obedient to God. So the next thing that happens in the story is that Daniel bursts into song, he makes a confession of praise. Because the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And he, and he writes this beautiful psalm, song of praise. Blessed be the name of the God forever and ever. To whom, might, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He's seen both of those things happen in his lifetime. He gives wisdom to the wise knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. And then he says to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. They had a prayer meeting. God answered their prayer exactly as they prayed it. And Daniel says, thank you. This brings us to a confident declaration. Verse 24, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men. He said to them, don't destroy everybody. Bring me to the king. I will give him the, the interpretation. And Arioch brought Daniel to the king, hurriedly, in haste, it says. He really didn't want to do this assignment of killing everybody. Not if there could be a way to give the king what he wanted. I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. So, verse 26, the king declared to Daniel, whose name had been changed to Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen? And Daniel answered the king. Listen to this. No! No! I stopped too soon. No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. That's exactly what his wise men had told him, right? But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. That's also what the wise men told him. No human being can do what you want us to do. Only the gods could do that, and Daniel says the same thing. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. And then he tells the king what the king had dreamed. Now, you're probably familiar with this. If you've been in church a while, if you've had, if you've had a, a sermon about prof, the prophetic visions of Daniel, you've certainly heard this one described. This is what the king saw in his dream. Daniel says, To you as you lay in bed, O king, came thoughts of what would be after this. He who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. He says, As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of the wisdom I have more than any of the others living, But in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Here's the dream. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. And that image was mighty of exceeding brightness stood before you. Its appearance was frightening. And then he gives the description. The head was fine gold. Its chest and arms of silver. Its middle and thighs made of bronze. Its legs made of iron its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And then he says, while you were looking, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken into pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. And uh, in between, right after the period of this was the dream and the next sentence, the king replied in the Ashley translation, Oh my goodness, that's it! Translators later uh, struck that as probably not being inspired, but <clears throat> that was what the king had seen in his dream, his, his recurring dream, the one that troubled his vision and kept him awake. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. So we have seen the content of the dream. Now for the clarification of the dream. Daniel explains what it means. This first part, verse 37, You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. Daniel was given to flattery, apparently not a bad habit to be in when talking to a king who has just ordered you killed. He says to him, you are the head of gold. And then he goes on. But I think, from what we're going to see happen in the next chapter, I think at this moment, Nebuchadnezzar stopped listening. He heard you are the head of gold, and, and that took Nebuchadnezzar down a mental rabbit trail. But everybody else kept listening, and they heard this. Another kingdom, inferior to you, shall rise after you, and, that, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over the whole earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. Uh, And uh, you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But of the firmness of iron, the firmness of iron shall be in it, uh, just as you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so that kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle." And uh, and then he says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces. All these other kingdoms bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. And uh, he says, Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, Behold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. I'm going to leave the story for a minute, because I know if I don't mention this, there'll be an elders meeting after. Most people uh, who have studied Bible prophecy agree about what the Nebuchadnezzar's dream represents and how it has played out in history. Uh, everybody agrees, and Daniel even said, that the gold in the image represents Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, after the, the empire of Babylon, the Babylonians fell to the Medo-Persian empire. Uh, that is told... Uh, later in Daniel, and uh, that's, the, that's the empire that l- let uh, the, the captives return to Israel, return to Jerusalem. That story is told in Ezra and Nehemiah. And the book of Esther tells the story of uh, Esther remaining in exile in the land, uh, and that king Ahasuerus that she was made queen to was a Persian king. So the silver is Persia. Bronze is represented, is uh, uh, understood to be the Greek empire, Alexander the Great and those who came after him. And uh, then the iron is the Romans. And uh, most Bible scholars, Bible prophecy scholars will say, the ten toes of iron mixed with clay—that is the uh, ongoing influence of the Roman Empire down to the present day. And some people would say, you know, uh, when the economic, the European Economic Union, uh, the Economic Union was formed, it was formed of ten nations. Those are the ten toes. Uh, that's that's the direction of prophetic thought. And I and I know that if I didn't at least mention this there'd be some angry phone calls and emails to the, to the uh, leadership after church. So you don't, have to, you don't have to pick up the phone and call and write that angry email because I did at least mention what those images probably represent. The stone cut from the mountain with no human hand, which broke into pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, is, of course... That's the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, and the church. And uh, we like it because that prophecy shows Jesus and his followers winning, as it should. So um, if you've ever heard a sermon about Daniel 2 and the prophetic symbolism of that image, uh, you just heard it again. This brings us to the dramatic conclusion of the story. As we would expect, Nebuchadnezzar reacts with awe and pleasure at Daniel's accomplishment and showers him with rewards that he promised to the wise men who could tell him his dream and what it meant. And this reminds me of the result of following Daniel's formula for spiritual success. Again, Daniel received... Success in the eyes of King Nebuchadnezzar, God gave him favor. This is what verse 46 of Daniel 2 says, King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. And the king answered and said to Daniel, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings And a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. This really sounds like Nebuchadnezzar got saved right there, right? Right? I mean, he says, your God, Daniel, your God is the God of all gods. It certainly sounds like a confession of faith, except for Daniel chapter 4, which. Pastor Ben gets to deal with. At the, at, at the very least, he has taken a step toward acknowledging that there is a God who might be greater than his God, Marduk, and all the pantheon of his pagan gods. Uh, we've talked about a few of them. At least he's taken a step toward acknowledging that Daniel's ability to tell him his dream and its meaning came from God. So then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over the wise men of Babylon. Now, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. You probably have seen already some parallels between the stories of Joseph in the Old Testament and Daniel. Uh, Joseph also had the ability to interpret dreams, and uh, he gave to Pharaoh the interpretation of two parallel dreams that were troubling Pharaoh, and uh, Pharaoh was so pleased with Joseph's interpretation of that and how he handled it that he made Joseph second only to himself over the whole land of Egypt. Do you remember that? And here we see God doing the very same thing with another one of his servants to whom he he had given the ability to understand, interpret, and the courage to stand in front of a person who had authority over his very life and tell him what God had said. And uh, God has exalted another of his servants even in the face of an enemy. Remember what I said last week from Proverbs, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now Daniel, because uh, he had brought his friends into this conflict by asking them to pray, uh, we read, Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the boys we know as Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. Daniel remained at the king's court for all the rest of the 70 more years of his life. Now, uh, I failed to turn my manuscript for today's message into an editor who who would have reminded me uh, Dennis, don't ask everybody to read Daniel chapter 3 for next Sunday because, Dennis, if you haven't, f- if you haven't forgotten, next Sunday is Mother's Day. And so uh, we will not be looking at Daniel chapter 3 next Sunday. It's Mother's Day. So in two weeks, we'll return. Uh, and for two Sundays from now, please have read Daniel chapter 3. Uh, over uh, two or three times, like you did this week in Daniel chapter two, and it 'll make your understanding of it, your anticipation of it, I hope better, and it will give me a little bit more freedom to tell the story and and relate the lessons to be learned from it next next the next message after mother 's day is probably the most famous of all of the stories that come out of the book of Daniel. And it's interesting because Daniel is not even in it. So think about that when you read Daniel chapter 3. Ask yourself the question, huh, where's Daniel? Okay, just ask. Let's pray together. Father, we were reminded today of a story that happened 2,600 years ago. It's a true story. It actually happened just the way it's described in Daniel's account of it. Nebuchadnezzar was a real person. Daniel was a real person. All of these people were real historical people. And uh, the vision that you gave to this pagan king and uh, its interpretation explained to him through your servant Daniel uh, is a real historical fact and the prophecy was actually fulfilled at least almost completely fulfilled already and we can look at history and say that lines up, that matches. So that gives us confidence, Father, that when we read your book, your Bible, that what we're reading is a reliable source document. It contains truth. It is truth. Every word you have spoken to us is the truth. You hold our lives in your hand. Whether we're the king or whether we're a servant to the king or just some peasant in the king's field, you hold our lives in your hand. Because you hold our lives in our hand, it ought to matter to us when you tell us what matters to you. I pray, Father, that you would help us to learn the lesson Daniel teaches us, to humble ourselves, that we aren't anybody or anything, we have no ability, special or otherwise, apart from you, and that you are the God who holds our lives in your hands. Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged that to some extent in this part of his story I pray, Father, that each one of us here has acknowledged that to a greater extent in our own lives, in our own thinking, in our own stories. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for what you are doing in our lives. Thank you for giving us things to be busy about in your kingdom, things to do for you, for your honor, for your glory, in your service. Thank you for what you accomplished through Luke Ogden and his classmates in the last week. And for the thousands of people who were contacted, the two or 3,000 people who actually stopped to listen to the gospel story, the gospel message, and the life that it gives, and especially, Father, for the 88 souls who, having heard the gospel, were touched by the person telling them and by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring them into your kingdom. 88 new brothers and sisters we have yet to meet, but whose lives somehow we have helped to touch. And thank you for that. And thank you for the more who will come. Thank you for those who are being baptized in just a few weeks and and others who are thinking about it since we've been talking about it. And I thank you, Father, for the exciting opportunities that you have given to us to move forward in your kingdom, doing what you have called upon us to do. Give us courage. Help us not to be afraid of what might happen, but to be confident of what you have said we should do for you. And I give you thanks and praise for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen you guys stay where you are, and we're gonna sing Great is Thy Faithfulness.
3: Thou
1: faithfulness Lord unto me. We are we don't have words, God, to thank you enough for that faithfulness in our life. That through everything that we go through. Daniel taken from his home and sent into Babylon. But you were faithful and you were there. We go through things in our life every day, God. Pains and and trials and and sometimes just torment, but you're there. You're faithful. Because you promised never to leave us or forsake us. I'm thankful that we have that to rest on. And to lean on in those times, God. Great is thy faithfulness unto us. Thank you. In Jesus' name.